The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So, take your Bibles this evening, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and um, I wasn't sure which way to go with tonight's message. Um, being the first Sunday night of the year, I, I, I had a couple of other messages. I have one that I, I prepared, put together on a servant's heart. And I thought, you know, that might be a good message to preach on the first Sunday night of the year. Set ourselves just right going into the year with the heart of a servant. And, and then uh, just a couple of days ago, I... Uh, I was reading some scripture and started putting together and put together a message on our greatest failures. And I started thinking, wow, you know, that might be also a good message to preach on the first Sunday night of the year, to set our feet on a solid path, uh, knowing and understanding areas in our life that we so easily fail as we go off into the year. But I decided to stay with the message that the Lord had given me a few weeks back when pastor asked me if I would preach tonight. And that is, who hath hindered you? So let's look at Galatians chapter 5 together. You can remain seated, and I'll read the first eight verses. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Uh, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a, a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which is worketh which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have. I pray now that you would uh, give me wisdom as I speak. Help me to say those things that will edify and help us tonight and only those things that will glorify you. Thank you for this time we have now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I would like for each of us to go back in our minds to that moment when we were saved. I mean that exact moment when you knew you were saved. It was such an amazing time, wasn't it? I can remember in my personal uh, instance, it was the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving in 1981. And I had had a man that worked for me who was a a Christian and he'd witnessed to me at work. And he was a good friend of mine. He was a high school friend and I knew him well. And I went home that Wednesday evening and for the first time in my life, I grabbed a Bible and I started reading. And I really didn't know where to read, but I remembered the Ten Commandments and Moses and the movie that I had seen as a child. So I read the book of Exodus, uh, that whole book uh, sitting in, in my living room. And then I'd heard about a book at the end of the Bible that tells you all the, of all things to come. And I read the book of Revelation that night. And around 2 a.m. or so, 2.30 a.m., I remember just being under such heavy conviction from the Father. And I closed that Bible, 
And I climbed into my bed, and I awakened my wife, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to do something. I have to do something. And God quickened me that night. He, he saved me that very night. He enlightened me. He showed me my need for a Savior. And, and that Sunday, November 29th, 1981, I, I went to church. I went to the little Baptist Mission Church, and there... Uh, that Sunday morning, I came forward and, and surrendered my, my heart to Christ, and I was saved and born again. And what a glorious morning it was. I remember walking out of that building, and you probably could all say the same. I remember walking out, and the sky never looked so blue. The grass never looked so green. The birds' songs were beautiful. It was near Christmas time. And uh, as I would drive to work in the morning and listen to the Christmas carols on the radio for the first time in my life, they had meaning. I understood the, the, the songs. I understood what it was all about. And it was such an amazing, amazing time. You remember when you were saved? Can you remember back to that exact moment of how you felt at that, at that moment when you, when you came to know for sure that you were a child of God? It's so amazing, wasn't it? We faced each day with such energy and such courage. There seemed to be nothing that could trouble us. Our hope was in Christ, and for the first time, we lived with the full confidence that we were a child of God. But then, as time went by, we slowly began to lose a little bit of that zeal, didn't we? We began to lose some of that confidence. We began to forget about the new creature we had become. The novelty was gone. The luster had faded. Disappointment, discouragements, and the cares of life began to weigh down upon us again. And soon we find that we have regressed back. We no longer find it so easy to walk in faith. It becomes harder and harder to live in obedience to God. Now, this is not unique to anyone here tonight. In fact, all of us face this at some point in our Christian life. I don't care who you are. No matter who you are tonight, (coughs) as you sit here, this is your testimony. What we were, the the zeal we had, the joy we had, the, the happiness we had, has gone away. Now, we've perhaps recaptured some of that. But it's not like it was when we were first saved, is it? And it never will be again. It's not unique to any one of us. We all face this in our lives. And it is this that Paul is addressing to the believers at Galatia. (coughs) In Galatians chapter 5. In verse 7 he said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? In other words, Paul said, You were living with such confidence. You were facing the challenges of your faith with such courage. You were obedient to God and his word without wavering. But now something has changed. And it is important for us tonight to understand that we too face this in our lives. We will face these same hindrances every day. I find it interesting that Paul asked, who hath hindered you? (coughs) That is what I want to focus on tonight. I want to focus on the who that hinders us. Not the what, but rather the who. Now, I find challenges from three distinct groups, uh, challenges that we will face 
on a daily basis. Uh, challenges that threaten to hinder us if we are not careful. Now, my approach to examining these three groups is going to be a little unusual. Tonight, I'm going to re examine these in reverse order. I'll begin with what I consider to be the least influential, and I'll end with the most influential hindrance that we face. So let's begin with the least. So number one, I want you to write this down, the devil. The devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, we read, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, you heard me correctly. I said, at, at least in my opinion, the devil is the least influential at hindering us tonight. Now, I don't want to downplay the threat that we face from the devil because the threat that we face from Satan is very real. And it can be fatal to our walk as a Christian. But tonight, I don't want to be guilty of giving Satan more credit than he deserves. This is why I place him least of our last on the list of hindrances. While he is, in fact, very powerful, and while he is very adept at tempting and attacking God's people, and while he has been devouring believers since the Garden of Eden, he is not omnipotent. Amen? He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. Let's, let's don't give Satan more attributes than he deserves. He is a created being, very powerful, much more powerful than me. And if he were standing right here in front of me, I'd probably shiver in my boots. Although I don't wear boots, I'd, I'd shiver in some. But I doubt seriously that he's standing right here in front of me. He does not possess unlimited power. In fact, as we will see in just a moment in this study, he has no power over us whatsoever without God's consent. He is not all-knowing. He can tempt me, but he cannot read my mind. He does not know my thoughts. He does not have the ability to foresee my future. If we give him more authority than he deserves, we make him equal to God. Now, he's busy tonight. No doubt about it. He's actively working right now as I'm speaking to attempt to, to destroy mankind and, and, and to, to uh, uh, cause as much trouble to the Father as he possibly can. He is absolutely active at that right now, but I doubt that his headquarters is in Roner Park. He's not going to affect much chaos across the country by, by placing his efforts in our small town, is he? No, he's, he's, he spends his time around the, the leaders of the world, uh, those that can influence the most 
havoc across this globe. Let's, let's, let's not make him more than what he is. Now, he has many minions and he has demons that that traverse about this earth. And yes, we do face them. And yes, they do everything they can to hinder us, no doubt. But as I said earlier, they can do nothing to you or I without the consent of God. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, James says this. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now you need to understand a lot of the a lot of the writings of the scriptures, of course, were were um, by the the apostles and disciples. As a matter of fact, all of the writings were, and so these are men who dealt with Satan in his full force and fury uh, as as he was trying to to stop the spread of the new church. So, but certainly all of this is applicable to us. James says, "You just you just submit to God. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Why? Because when you boil it all down, he's a coward. He's a coward and, and he can't resist the, the spirit of God. And, and when, when we walk in the fullness of the spirit and we, when we conduct ourselves and, and submit ourselves into God, the devil flees from us. Why? Because we are using the weapons that God has given us. But that being said, the, definite, the devil can definitely hinder us if we allow him to do so. This is why we're admonished in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Now, we give place to the devil when we fail to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. When we live our lives in the flesh and when we fail to to yield to God's spirit, we're, we're giving place. We're giving a foothold for the devil to get into our lives. We, we give place to the devil when we fail to walk by faith and, and, and not by sight. When we live our lives oblivious of, of, of God and, and when we make our decisions based upon worldliness, we give place to the devil. We also give place to the devil when we yield to our own understanding, our own limited wisdom. I know all of us like to think that we're, we're, we, we possess great wisdom, but the truth of the matter is, apart from God, there is no wisdom. And we are, we are all as fools apart from the Father. Jesus, uh, in his human form, resisted Satan by using the word of God. And this is the weapon that's available to us as well tonight to fight the influence and the hindrance of the devil in our lives. Uh, Though he is a formidable enemy, Satan's power over us is only to tempt. He cannot force any of us to relent to his temptations. He is limited in his abilities concerning us. And I said this earlier. He can do nothing to us without the consent of God. Turn with me to Job chapter 1 in your Bibles. Let's all go to the book of Job, please. Chapter number 1. And let's look beginning at verse number 9. Job chapter 1 and verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his sustenance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth. From the presence of the Lord. And we see here that, that Satan could not do anything to Job. 
He could not do anything to Job without God's consent. Uh, Look at Job chapter 2. And let's begin at verse number 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan, the first time, God said, go ahead and, 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 and take away his possessions and, and he'll still serve me. And Satan did. <laughs> he took away everything that Job owned. He killed Job's children. And Job still did not curse God. But then Satan told God, sure, yeah, you, you know, you take away everything he has, but let's, let's, let's mess with his own flesh now. So the Lord told Satan, go ahead and touch his flesh, but you can't, you can't touch his life. So we, we see here that Satan could not affect Job in any way without God's consent. And can I tell you that he, can do, he can't do anything to you either without the consent of God. Now he can tempt you and he can test you and he can, he can try to hinder you, but he cannot affect anything. He cannot affect you in any way without the consent of God. We have nothing to fear from Satan tonight other than temptation that's my point I hope you get that you don't need to fear Satan he's a formidable enemy and he's powerful and he he seeks to devour God's children but he can't hurt you he can't do a thing to you because you're being protected by God but he can hinder you he can tempt us and so we must resist him so though we can be hindered by the devil We are more than able to overcome him. How? By the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And when Satan tempts you, when when you feel an influence in your life that you would say, well, the devil's tempting me, then turn to the word of God. Resist him. Claim the promises of God and he will flee from you. But then there is a second hindrance, one that is more influential than the devil. And that is, number two, the world. The world. Now, we are advised of this enemy that we face every day. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the second group tonight that we face that will hinder us in our in our Christian life is the world. By this, we're not referring to the collective body of people. Rather, we are referring to the philosophies of the devil himself upon the sinful heart of men. The spirit, if you will, of the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, we read, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, knew, uh, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, 
because they received not the love of truth that they might be saved. And this this influence we see, this mystery that we, we see talked about here is the spirit of wickedness. It's the spirit of the Antichrist, which works in this world today. <clears throat> John describes these philosophies of the world as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He describes the lust of the flesh. This is all that we want to do. And he talks of the lust of the eyes. This is all that we want to have and the pride of life. And this is all that we want to be. Now, you notice there the common word in these is we. It's what we want. And this is the, this is the spirit of the world. It's a selfishness. It's a, it's a spirit of, of self-satisfaction, self-gratification. One that takes no thought for God or his righteousness. Now, there are many problems with this philosophy, but the greatest problem is the emphasis it places on us instead of on God. You see, our philosophy should be to do what God wants us to do, to have what God wants us to have, and to be what God wants us to be. But that's not the philosophy of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, the philosophy of the world is in direct contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And as we look at these, at these works that, that constitute the fruit of the flesh... We don't see the world in there, do we? Because this is a spirit, this is a life that emanates from the spirit of God himself and, and flows through us. The enemy, uh, the, the world is much closer to home than the devil. And it is much more influential in hindering our progress. This enemy affects us at work. This enemy has, he, he's in our workplace the world is in our workplace and the influences of the world and the, and the, and the, and the pressures of the world uh, are in our workplace. Uh, this enemy affects us in our personal relationships with our friends and with our families. The, these philosophies that we're talking about tonight, they, they hinder us and, and, and they pressure us and they, they challenge us at every turn. This enemy can even affect us in our church. Oh, yes, there are a lot of churches across our country that have become affected and influenced by worldly philosophies. I talk to people often who have left this church and, and they tell me, boy, it's hard to find a church like Berean. And it is. You know, sometimes we tend to think a church like this, and it's not that we're anything special, but sometimes we think a church like this, we can find it anywhere. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. No, they're not. Do you understand that? They're not very common. That's because the influence of the world has permeated even into our churches today, into our Christian homes, <coughs> into our Christian lives. The, the philosophies of the world tends to cause us to justify our poor behavior, our lack of faith. We make decisions that are based on self and not on Christ. 
And this is because of the influence. And it is hindering us. It's hindering us as a people. As, as a body of believers, it hinders us. Our churches are hindered in their work in the community. Our, our Christians are hindered in their individual personal growth because of this influence that we have in the world today. And it is, it is up to us to understand that and to avoid this philosophy, these philosophies. We see tonight that we are hindered. We are hindered by the devil, yes, most definitely. And he's a dangerous enemy, but he's, he's not the greatest influence in our life. We are hindered by the world and the philosophies of the world. And, and this is a more formidable enemy than, than the devil. Because we interact with the world every day and every way. And, and we become complacent. We've become tolerant. But then there is a third enemy. And this enemy is the most influential tonight. And that is the flesh. The flesh. In James chapter 1 and verse 14 we read, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Did you notice James didn't say, But every man is tempted when Satan comes to him. Did you notice he didn't say, but every man is tempted when the world influences him? Oh, we are tempted by the devil, yes. And we are tempted by the world, yes. But the strongest of influences, the strongest of temptations comes from our own lust, our own flesh. Now, this enemy is the hardest enemy for us to fight. And that's because it's the closest one to us. This enemy knows all about us. Everything. My deepest, darkest secrets are known by the flesh. By my flesh. This enemy knows all about me. I have no secrets from this enemy. It knows exactly where, exactly when... And exactly how to attack me. And I can never get away from his presence. Flip Wilson back in the 70s coined a phrase. And it was the devil made me do it. How many of you ever ever heard that Flip Wilson? The devil, the devil made me do it. Geraldine. Wasn't it Geraldine, his character? And Geraldine would always say, the devil made me do it. And you know what? The world loved that. And people latched on to that. You know why? Because we like to blame someone else. We don't like to take the blame on ourselves. I've worked with children a lot over the years. And I rarely ever had a, a child come up to me and I'd say, well, well what happened? And they just fess up and take the blame. There's always, well, so-and-so said this, and then, and then somebody else did this. And, and it, ta- it, it used to take me sometimes 15 or 20 minutes to finally get them to admit, yeah, it was me. Because we don't want to take the blame. We want, we want to shove the blame off on something else. We want, we, want to, we want to pin the blame on somebody else. But most of the time, 
My biggest problem is right here. That face I look at in the mirror, that gorgeous, wonderful face I look at in the mirror every morning, which is getting older and older by the day. I got to the point where I hate to shave in the morning because I keep seeing new spots. What's that? Where did that come from? That wasn't there yesterday. That flesh, it's there when I wake up in the morning. It's there when I lie down to go to sleep. It uses what I look at against me. It uses my hobbies and my entertainments to weigh me down. It uses my hopes and my dreams, my aspirations to lure me into temptations. It's, it's, a, it's a merciless enemy. We cannot fool our flesh. We cannot lie to our flesh. And we cannot bargain with our flesh. Because it'll bargain with us, but it cheats. Hmm? The flesh wants what it wants, and it cares nothing about what God wants. It will not compromise with us. It will deceive us and take control of us. And we cannot control the flesh. See, this is a mistake a lot of Christians make. A lot of Christians think they can turn it on and off. You hear me? Better listen to me. A lot of Christians think, well, you know what? I can go play over here for a little while and then I'll just, I'll repent and turn it off and get away from it. No, you won't. You can't turn it off. You can't turn the flesh on and off when you choose. And you cannot defeat this enemy by your own will or by your own authority or by your own power. It'll enslave you. It'll enslave you and it'll chain you to a life you don't want to have. You don't believe me? Read about Samson. You know what Samson's problem was? The flesh. And he ended up blind, chained, and being led about by little children. Samson thought he could beat his flesh. He thought he could conquer that flesh. But in reality... The flesh conquered him. Now, thanks be to God, we know how the story of Samson ended. And we, we, that's a lesson to us that God can never be defeated by, by any enemy. But what a wasted life. Think about it. What a wasted life. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, Paul writes, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. And let me tell you something. If Paul the apostle couldn't control his flesh, I doubt seriously that I will be able to. Paul further stated in verses uh, 17, Romans 7, 17 through 19. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth. In me, in order to fight this enemy, there's some things you need to remember. <laughs> now, God can defeat this enemy. God can defeat the flesh. He can control your flesh. He can empower you to do so. But there's a couple things you need to remember. And let me share those with you and I'll be done. First, letter A, we are, you need to remember that we are a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, we are still the same person. And we are still in the same flesh. And we still possess the old sinful nature. However, we have been given a new nature. The nature of Christ. And if we live in this nature, we will not yield to the flesh. Living in this nature is an exercise in faith. We are a new creation. God created us anew. And within us dwells righteousness. Not ours, but the, the righteousness of Christ. In, my, in me dwells the mind of Christ. In me dwells the heart of Christ. Now the old sinful heart's still there. The old sinful mind's still there. The old sinful flesh is still here. But I can control those things through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. In other words, live your life in the Holy Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Did you see that? He said, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Do you ever have a thought as a believer, and you suddenly say, what, what, where did that come from? Huh? Any of you experience that? How in the world did that happen? What in the world made me think of that? What made me want to do that? Well, the flesh did. And the Spirit and the flesh are contrary. And they struggle. And when we get so preoccupied with other things that we lose sight of Christ and we, our mind wanders away from, from the Holy Spirit and from the Lord, we become, we begin to become in, in further and further drawn down by the flesh. This is why it's so important that we meditate upon the Word of God day and night. This is why it's so important that God be in every part of our lives, even in our jobs. It's so important that God is in everything. Because if, we, if our mind wanders away from the Lord, it will begin to wander into the realm of the flesh. We are a new creation, a new creature. We've been, we've been enabled and empowered by God to overcome our flesh. <clears throat> but then another thing we better remember is this, letter B. Be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <clears throat> now, we have been admonished to mortify our members, our bodies. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, But, this, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the de dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. <clears throat> We are to mortify our members, and what that literally means is that we're to restrain the flesh. God has, God has restrained our flesh. He has limited the authority, 
and the power of the flesh. The only, the only power the flesh still holds over you is to tempt you, not to control you. Upon our new birth, upon, upon our salvation, God restrained the flesh and it no longer can control us. It can, but it can tempt us and we can yield to that temptation. But thereby he has empowered us to resist the temptations of the flesh. And this we can only do because it is Christ that lives in us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that works in you. It's God that enables you. It's God that empowers you. It's God that gives you the authority to overcome the flesh, to walk in faith, to witness in his name, to proclaim his righteousness. How do you think we can do these things? Not because we've become some enlightened individual, but because it is God that works in us and dwells in us richly. And it is God that causes us to grow. And it is God that causes us to to, to do these things in, in our lives in his name. But beware lest you forget that your flesh is ever present with you. And also remember this, you cannot rest on yesterday's victories. Listen, just because you overcome the flesh today, it doesn't mean you're going to overcome the flesh tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that you'll resist it the next day or the day after that. You can't live on yesterday's victories. You have to start the fight anew every day. Each day we must come to God. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says, I have to constantly watch out. I have to constantly be on guard against my flesh and keep it under subjection. Every day we come to God and sacrifice our flesh anew. It is a lifelong battle, one that will not end until our corruptible bodies are made incorruptible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul states, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The day is coming when the Lord will descend in the clouds, and the shout of the, of the, of the angels and will be gathered together in the clouds to be with the Lord for all eternity. Then this, this corruptible body shall be changed into the incorruptible likeness of Christ. And we will dwell for all eternity in his presence, free from sin. But now we face the temptations of the flesh every day. We face the constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we must fight that battle new every day. We can't afford to get weary in this fight. Because if we grow weary in this fight and we drop our guard, we will be conquered. Of all the influences we face, our own flesh is the most difficult to overcome. But, in my opinion, it is the most important one to overcome.
For if we fail to conquer our flesh, the consequences will be disastrous for ourselves, for our families, for our prodigy. We can't afford to lose this fight. Galatians 5, 7, Paul said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Answer this question for yourself tonight. Who is hindering you from being all that you can be for Jesus Christ this year? Is it the devil? Well, it's possibly the devil, but it's highly unlikely. Resist him and he will flee from you. He's easy to defeat. Is it the world? Well, the world definitely plays a big role. But the world, too, can be defeated. The Bible tells us we overcome the world by our faith. Is it your flesh? Now, this is the most likely candidate tonight. And it will be the most difficult to defeat. And it can only be defeated by walking in the Spirit. May God bless us and give us the strength we need to overcome these hindrances throughout this coming year. And may God use us as his people to glorify his name and to accomplish his work in this place. Let us pray. Father, we, we don't like to ever admit that we fail or that we're not the best that we can be. But the truth is, Father, we've all been hindered. Paul's question of ye did run well, who hath hindered you, is one we all must answer because no matter who we are tonight, we face this in our life. So we ask that you would strengthen us. We ask that you would help us to, to fight these, these battles as, as we must every day. Throughout this coming year, help us to remember that you are our strength and you are our shield. Help us to honor you in all things. Help us to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Strengthen us and use us, we pray, Lord. May, may all this be done to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org